0: what's going on this is ethan jago here with the battlefield theologian podcast and as you can see from today's episode title it is called stop wasting your life and this is going to be a slightly different emphasis in the show as opposed to what we uh, typically cover uh in our podcasts and everything else but i think from time to time stuff like this needs to be addressed to put things in perspective. Now, for those listening, this is a podcast that is for everyone, men, women, if you're married, if you're single, uh, if you don't have kids at home, you're empty nesters, you name it. Uh, If you listen to the show and you enjoy the content, I think you will appreciate this. Uh, And I really pray that this motivates you so when you're done listening, uh, you step up and decide to make some changes or maybe this helps encourage you in what you're already doing. Um, As as I was sitting down to write the episode uh, show notes for this show, Um, A lot of stuff started coming to mind that I learned in my military training. Now, for some of those you who listen who don't know, uh, I was in the Air Force uh, serving as a survival evasion resistance and escape specialist. Uh, Essentially, what that was, was we trained individuals how to survive behind enemy lines, how to evade capture should Uh, You get shot down, stuff like that. So whether you were a pilot, uh, special operator, whatever else, if you had a high risk of isolation, you would go through our level C training. Uh, And on top of that too, then we would tell people and train people on how to resist interrogation techniques. Uh, That's the R and then escape from captivity. Now I enjoyed this job tremendously. It was a phenomenal job. It was not one of these super sexy trigger puller uh, special forces jobs by any stretch of the means but it still taught me valuable lessons in the military. And the training was intense and it was in, uh, it was very difficult. Uh, I am not gonna lie, it was very difficult. And a lot of the stuff I learned going through the training and the selection for this job uh, is stuff that I have incorporated into my life uh, in my leadership capacity and uh, how I father, help set things in perspective, help set things in priorities. Because as I went through the training, uh, one thing began to stand out as we would go through this and we were being trained into all these different biome environments on survival techniques. Uh, You start to get to know yourself uh, because what they would do is from time to time, they would take you out and you would have solo exercises where it was just you and your thoughts. And it was just you in the middle of the woods or you wherever in the environment that you're at. And when you find yourself alone, thinking one-on-one, you start to really get introspective and reflecting about your life, your goals, your priorities, what is of value to you, your principles, and that's when you start to begin to draw lines in the sand. And I think for a lot of people, we don't ever sit down and make it a custom habit to sit and write down goals for ourselves or things that we would like to do. Uh, And so as I'm breaking this podcast down, you're gonna be hearing several different things that I'll be drawing from in my military uh, training, other stuff that I've done too. Uh, But then also there's going to be some biblical worldview and scriptures throughout. Um, But what I want you to do is I want you to reflect right now. Think back, uh, depending on how old you were, it might vary for person to person. Think back to high school, middle school, college, whenever. uh, And think back on what were some goals that you had that you had set. You know, I remember as a kid, um, I, I used to want to I wanted to grow up to be a guy that wrote on the back of the trash cans or not the trash cans the trash trucks because i thought that looked legit i wanted to be the guy that was chilling on the back of the trash truck picking up trash cans i thought that would be fun you know that was a goal granted yes goals change thank goodness my goal changed but i also had a lot of thoughts too where i wanted to be married i wanted to be a husband i wanted to have kids and the biggest thing too that i remember i told my mom and everyone else one goal that i had maybe it wasn't as specific of a goal But I told my mom is that I did not want to have just a normal life. Uh, I didn't want to work just some dead end nine to five job where I hated going into work every day. I despised all of this other stuff and just kind of put yourself in a cage. I wanted freedom. I wanted to be able to move around. I wanted to be able to see the world and I wanted to do stuff that was unique that not many people get the opportunity to do. But I want you guys to think back and visualize what were those goals that you had whenever it was that you set those out. Now, it might have been a long time ago, or maybe you set goals just a few years ago, or maybe it was a, you set goals when you got married, or maybe you set goals when you were a kid, uh, not when you had, when you had kids. So let me ask you this question. How has those goals and your goals changed? I want you to think about all those goals, your dreams, ambitions, desires the drive the motivation you had. And my question is for you, do you still have that same drive and that same motivation? For many of us, the drive and motivation might still be there, but the overall goal has changed. And for many times, that's a good thing. Like I said, with the trash truck, I'm very happy my goals changed. But here's the interesting thing about goals. When you really start to think about goals and New Year's resolutions is that most people know that it's good to set goals for their life. However, there's been a lot of research and it shows that 80% of people, that's 80% of people never set out to accomplish or write down any type of goals in their life. That to me is just insane that 80% of people never set any type of goals for their, in their life. And a lot of people say, well, I don't set goals because then if I don't hit what I was aiming for, then it's not, you know, I'm not failing. But if you never have something where you're working towards an objective or a target, then I don't know what you're doing. It's very difficult to work that way. Now with that statistic, 80% of people never set any type of goals. Now for the 20% of people that do set those goals, roughly only 70% of that number, those people fail to achieve those goals. My question is that I ask and that uh, I'm asking you is what transpires and happens that set us about on this pursuit of failure? Because if you think about it, whenever you set a goal, you don't set out to fail, right? Like everyone sets out with great ambitions, a high drive, a high goal, and you're not setting this goal of, I want to learn how to run a marathon with thinking I'm going to learn how to run a marathon and then not run it, right? Like you have a goal set out. You're going to go and pursue after that goal. But a lot of people start out on that goal, but they never finish through with that. Uh, Why is that? Well, what I believe truly is it really comes down to some form of fear. Now, fear comes in varying degrees and levels. And I don't want you to think like fear of like, I'm scared of something. No, but there's the fear of the unknown, the fear of judgment, the fear of critique, or even the fear of success. I've seen this come into play when I hear people say, uh, well, what will people think of me if I do such and such? So for instance, I had one individual was asked to uh, be a a contributor to a very popular news station. And he asked, he goes, well, what if the other guys see me and I'm contributing to, you know, this news channel, but you know, they think that I'm out here for myself or they think that, you know, I'm, I'm embellishing or something else like that. And so they ended up never doing it. And my question to them was like, man, why do you care what they're thinking? If you're being true to yourself and you're being honest, who cares what they think? But that fear of like judgment from the outside to where who knows who would have judged. Everyone's going to judge on something, right? But that fear played into this individual being allowed an opportunity, but denied himself that opportunity. And then, you know, another one that I hear of the failures, well, what if they think I'm trying to do this because of fill in the blank with some selfish motivation or whatever else? You know, when you think about the fear, um, what happens when it comes to fear is that people get into what we call in the military, at least paralysis analysis, meaning you are trying to analyze every situation to the point where it actually freezes you down. So you don't end up actually doing anything uh, because you see all the different ways you can fail. So instead of trying and seeing what happens and what works, they give up before they even begin. So a way in which this comes out practically that I think many people deal with is through being a perfectionist. I've seen perfectionism cripple organizations and individuals alike. An idea comes to mind, you brainstorm, you collaborate with others, and then here's what ends up happening, especially if you're the leader of that group. Either A, you do not delegate to others with the task, right, you don't delegate uh, with others with the task, so, or you do delegate, but you micromanage, And because you delegate, but then you micromanage, that's never done right away, you end up doing it yourself. Uh, So either A, you do not delegate others to help with the task, so you do it yourself and it never gets done, or you do delegate, but you micromanage and end up doing it yourself. The problem with each of those two scenarios is that the perfectionist is driving the momentum and the movement of that organization or of that group. So if you are the leader of the group and you're perfectionist and you have an end objective you're wanting to do, the best thing to do is to be delegating and to empower other people who have other gifts and talents to make you better at what you do. But instead, you decide, that you can't trust them or you're scared that it's not gonna be up to your standard or you do start to trust them, but then they keep bringing things back from their perspective, it's really, really good, uh, but you're looking for perfection, but we're never going to achieve the level of perfection. And so what ends up happening is people start all these products or these projects and they never finish it. They never get it done, they never finish it because the fear of putting something forward that doesn't meet your expectation uh, is locking you down. And most of the time it doesn't get things accomplished. Now, when you think about that type of mindset within goal achieving and goal making, that is a huge driving factor for why a lot of people never finish out with their goals is because they say, okay, for instance, I wanna go run a marathon, but I wanna be able to place myself in the top 10%. So as they start running, you know, they're training for months, and their time is not getting into that bracket where they need it to be. Instead of them actually going in, running and just doing the best that they can, they don't enter the race because they already know going into it that they're not gonna be running up to this made up standard that they made for themselves. And so they never get to experience the joy of being able to run in a race like that and just completing it. So it's all these additional goals that people set before themselves that really get into the mind, that really detract people from pursuing, being driven and being motivated. Now, when you think about this, as you're the perfectionist, you're the one delegating or not delegating, it's never going to be good enough. You have to understand that and accept that, or you're going to accept that, no, I can continue to do better. I can continue to improve upon it. And there's nothing wrong with improving upon it, but essentially you will never find it to completion because there's always something additional you can do to make it better. And then sadly, when the deadline comes, you miss it then you'll feel like a failure, then you circle the drain, and then you doubt your God-given gifts and talents. And sadly, many people then just stop doing whatever that field was or that gift was that they had in the first place. Now, for instance, you're trying to be a photographer, you're trying to be you know, a, a, a sports person, whatever it is, hey, you, you didn't make it in this one time, so then you you do these general uh, analyzations and rationalizing Well, if this is how it was here, that's the standard, that's the way it's always gonna be, I'm never gonna amount to anything. Now, what's also interesting about this is the research, uh, as I was doing studying for this podcast, is that there is some research that shows that 68% believe that perfectionism leads to burnout. 66% believe perfectionism leads to the fear of failure and conflict avoidance, 66% of workplace struggles struggle with perfectionism and a third of employees are considering leaving the workplace because of perfectionist expectations. So what does this tell you if you're the boss and you're the perfectionist? That you're going to have a high turnover rate with your employees or the leader of an organization. Well, what does this tell you too if you're employed by a perfectionist? This is telling you several different things, um, but one of the things is is that you're probably going to be looking for another job because you're never going to feel that job satisfaction. Now, the American Psychological Association has reported that overall perfectionism and feelings of inadequacy has increased within the last several years by 33%. And a big increase with this, the largest driving force for perfectionism is through what is known as comparison. Yes, comparison. So what is the next section we're looking at? Perfectionism comes by comparison. Well, what do I mean? Well, think about it this way. The uptick and rise of perfectionism saw a huge swell shortly after the advent of the internet. Remember back in the days of AOL instant messengers, Zanga sites, and MySpace for those older millennials or Gen Xers or whomever that had that, you know, you would always have uh, that excitement of someone entering into the chat room or updating your f- top five in your MySpace or whatever else it is. The, the exposure in social media was very limited and your comparison was very simplistic back then, but there was still comparison. Well, now let's fast forward to the modern day. There's a never ending amount of social media sites in which people compare themselves with an innumerable amount of people on the daily. And perfectionism comes by comparison when you're looking at what others have and you immediately feel inadequate concerning your feed, your house, your kids, your husband, or your wife. And frankly, social media is toxic for so many in how it is used. Uh, I actually wrote a journal that was published um, called Algorithmic Manipulation. Uh, how social media is affecting our theology. But in that I discuss and I talk about the algorithm and how IG is set up. And I'm not sure if you guys have been noticing, but even in how IG works right now, the algorithm is so out of whack. Um, It's nearly impossible for mid-level to low-level accounts to grow. Uh, And it is essentially, it's, you know, the bigger the account is, the bigger it grows, A smaller account. But anyway, all of this to say, is that social media is toxic because the way in which the algorithm feeds you, and you can read about this in my journal, feeds you. they feed you more content of what it predicts you want it, that you want it to bring to you, and it begins to influence your mind, your thoughts, your actions, which ultimately affects your behavior. Let Let me give you guys an example, and if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, he's talking about me, I'm not, or maybe I am, but most likely I'm not. I just see this all over the place. I've seen several posts from women regarding their husbands, At first glance, it looks as though the women are dogging on their husbands, making fun of their husbands, which honestly they probably are. But ultimately what these posts are doing when I see these women posting about their husbands is they're technically targeting other women to make these other women feel as though their husband is somehow inferior to the poster's husband or the post will bait other women. I've seen this a lot to engage in bashing their husband in the comment section bashing their husband on that Instagram post and the issue with this is multifaceted and what's hilarious to me is the women who post a ridiculous amount of specific niche facets of their family dynamic or on their husband and their kids and it's like this low level subtle flex that they post and they make this huge carousel post or they make this real and they make and pawn this off as this is the norm. For example, um, when you're looking at this, they are typically posting something That is unique or special that may only have happened once in a blue moon and they do this, they feel compelled to post about it and they pawn this type of a post off as if this is the norm, like this is the standard that how, you know, my wife or my husband treats me all the time, for example, and this might be a little niche, but I think you guys can imagine or at least visualize with me what I'm talking about here a woman makes a post about her husband making breakfast in bed with a latte and some lavender on the tray using slow roasted steel cut oats with fresh picked blueberries from the backyard and decided also to serve his wife a frozen acai smoothie on a picturesque pure white blanket. And then the the wife takes a picture with her feet in it in a weird pose with the sunlight coming in and the caption might say something like, love when the mister or the hubby does nice things like this for me, am I right ladies? And they post this as if this is a common occurrence now look if your husband does that fantastic right but don't pawn this off as if this is something that is done on a continual basis or that this is the norm because other women looking at this will then ask well shoot why doesn't my husband do that You're right and, and there's this comparison that immediately happens and whether the woman posting that post or not granted they're posting ultimately to get likes and engagement but essentially too. It's this low-level, insecure flex that they're trying to do to make other people affirm the narrative that she's trying to put forward, saying that, no, this is how my husband treats me. And most likely, that's not the case. Maybe, hey, you're trying to celebrate that your husband did that for you? Fantastic, that's great. But when you're posting it in this way, where you're making it seem like this is the norm, now granted, don't go on the other side and be like, my husband never does this for me, but it's cool he finally did something for me like this. The problem is with all of this is that people will compare and you can't control what everyone does and how they react, but still they're going to compare themselves with what they see. Another one I see with this, uh, now this is going on the the man side and dude, this drives me nuts. I see is that from both husbands and wives posting about how quote unquote manly their husbands are and how other husbands need to be more like this husband, the husband will do some subtle posts. Like he's trying to attempt to encourage other men to follow his example and makes it seem like, He's got some deep philosophical philosophical approach to how he parents, uh, and like what he does with his his kids. And you know he starts giving parenting advice on how to be a better parent. And then when you go in, you're like, bro, your kids are under five years old. Like, what kind of advice are you going to be giving in parenting? Uh, I'm not going to be going to some some couple or some guy who's got two kids under the age of five or six or something. I'm going to go to that empty nesters that have had several kids move through their house and that their kids are still faithful to the Lord and church. That's who I want to take parenting advice from. But the problem is, is like these guys are trying to find like their little niche to create their community and everything else. And it just becomes like this cyclical circle of self licking ice cream cones, right? It knows that it's good and it knows that it's good. So it's going to continue to lick itself. Now there's been an uptick too. And I'm sure men, you guys have seen this women. You might've seen this as too of men attempting to regain ground that has been lost over a lifetime of reject uh, or neglect in their manliness. And now they're trying to reestablish themselves as a man's man, but they're defining it using the world's methods and means. So what do I mean by this is that there's been a lot of stuff coming out on like biblical manhood and being a godly man or take take the biblical and the godly you know identifier out of it and you just see a bunch of stuff coming out of like people trying to be like super manly. And the way in which they're trying to put on display the manliness of what a man is supposed to look like is by legit comparing it and contrasting it to like what the world would compare and contrast it to, right? Like doing manly things of chopping wood and this and that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a man. Like, dude, any, any buffoon with any kind of muscle mass can swing an axe or can go walk in the woods and point out plants to their kids, right? That's not the issue here. Reading books and regurgitating information and pull quotes from these books does not constitute a breakthrough in leading your family or of being a man. Instead of talking about it, how about you start doing it? Shoving chicken feathers in your hat does not make you a chicken. Manliness is not measured by an outward display of beating one's chest or by using words or language such as, I'm a warrior, I'm trying to be dangerous, and everything else that I see people posting like that. No, what true biblical godly manliness is, is being a servant for your family and doing whatever it takes to provide for your family, leading your wife both physically and spiritually, and taking care of your kids and prioritizing them. Again, I'm not trying to bash anyone in specific here, but these are just like the generalities I'm seeing going online. And what I'm seeing is men and women falling into this comparison trap. And then not only that, just for themselves, and if it stopped there, that'd be one thing, but I see marriages going through dilemmas and pains because of a comparison of this girl's wife with this or this guy's wife with that. You know, it's just this constant comparison. What I'm trying to point out though is the psychological, that manipulation that transpires through social media that makes men and women scratch their heads and ask the question, am I doing this right? Or is my husband or my wife doing it right? Or is, or did I even marry the right man or woman? And these posts place an incredible amount of pressure on one or two of the both parties, the husband and the wife, and then that pressure is felt and it throws off the marital dynamic. Then what happens is this leads to an expectation of some form of perfectionism from your spouse to add up or to meet the qualifications that you saw someone else post. And when they do not deliver, or they don't do what you saw or how you saw it in an Instagram post, it causes doubts or it plants seeds about your spouse in your mind. Now this happens in several different aspects of life. So take away the toxic, insecure wife or husband scenario and let's shift that into the professional sphere, right? So some of you listening may not be married Uh, Or may not even, uh, you know, be be at that point yet. But my thing is, though, I think even for you single individuals, you see this, too. You see some quintessential perfect couple on IG and you think, man, I want to have a marriage like that. But you don't know actually what's behind the scenes. Like what what else are they dealing with that you don't know that you don't understand everything that they're going through. Right so think about it that way. So secondly, looking at this from a professional sphere. Now, many of us have dealt with or currently still deal with what's known as imposter syndrome. For example, you might be a writer, photographer, a teacher, a lawyer, whatever. And you see other posts from people in a similar field on social media, and it looks as though they have achieved some form of success. And you feel like an imposter because you see others in your specific job and they're pushing what looks like, again, incredible success in their venture, flexing travel photos to awesome destinations, hanging with celebrities or landing that incredible client or even having this ball and new vehicle. Now, what I've learned and have heard from many influencers in the social media world is that as your platform grows in social media, especially like in IG and stuff like that, you begin to grow out of your normal friend circle. Well, why is that? Well, because those individuals in your normal friend circle who aren't quote unquote influencers, who don't have this following, They can't fathom the amount of pressure you're under and you're influencing. So you can't, you can't relate to them. You have nothing in common with them anymore. So whatever you get, you did have in common, you've grown out of that friendship. Again, you got to hear this talking right here. That's clearly some ego right there, right? Well, now they have to hang with other people who have however many thousands of followers in order to continue to grow theirs because that's ultimately becoming the idol in their life is their own narcissism and their own growth of their numerical value. And a lot of people too will justify, well, you know, it's my business, it's my small business, it's my small business. But at at the while, you're burning your family, you're burning your friends, you're isolating yourself. And what's funny is who you end up living your life for. Because that's the funny thing is this lifestyle, you're living your life for how you want others to approve your life and how you want others to like your life. So if you really break this down logically, You're a fake phony, as fake as a $3 bill, because the masses now, as an influencer, they dictate to you what they like and what they do not. For instance, let's just say you're an influencer who travels around the world, and you've traveled a lot of places, and you just recently traveled to Venice, and you loved it. I mean, you just really fell in love with the city, the town, whatever, and you want to go again. You posted a reel from your travel there, expecting that it's going to do however well all your other reels did, And it didn't go well at all. In fact, people jump in the comments saying, I hate Venice. This is not a good place at all. I can't believe that you went there. Why would you go there? This place is whatever. So now your followers are not approving of your location and you're gonna end up probably never going back there again. So essentially you're allowing your followers to dictate what you like and what you don't like. So do you ever get to be a real person? No, because your followers are driving and they're the ones driving the bus, driving the train, and they're telling you what's up. They're telling you where they want you to go next. Essentially, I always like to compare it like this, like you're a monkey clanging a cymbal. And then the second you stop clanging the cymbal, they wind you up on the back again because they want to continue to be entertained. So, yes, you're an influencer, but you're an influencer only so far as the people following you allow you to be an influencer. Because if they want to drop you, they'll drop you like a bad habit. They have no connectivity with you. They, they don't know who you are. And neither do you if you're following these influencers too. So don't try and have some interpersonal connection with these people as if they actually care about you. Each person is serving them themselves. One person is trying to get positive affirmations in your post and the other person is trying to fish for positive affirmations from your likes and comments. Ultimately, it's like a dual headed coin here. Now flipping this from the travel influencer, let's look at another example of a mother who is homeschooling her children. And let's just say she posts a photo And in her caption, she says something like I'm taking a break from homeschooling today and post a picture of like her kids out at a playground or took them to the zoo. Who knows? Well, jumping in the comment section, she starts to get trolled by other homeschooling moms, criticizing her for not being more committed to her program. So instead of the woman, the wife dictating the school cycle, her followers are now dictating her homeschool cycle because she does not want to face that kind of kickback, that kind of ridiculement. Uh, And so out of fear, she reacts to her followers, which is now implementing an additional pressure that was never meant to be on her in the first place. And then now her kids are going to feel that effect too. Hey mom, why can't we go back to the park? Well, kids, you know, we can't go back to the park because of this. Again, no one says you have to post about it. You can still go to the park, just don't post about it. But now in the back of her mind, she's going to have this kind of tap, 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 tap on the back of her head thinking, no one liked this. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Now, I've outlined several different problem areas and levels of concern, but I want to kind of shift this a little bit to how can we start to combat this? How can we start to move past this? And the biggest thing I will say is through mental resiliency, what we need to do, what we need to focus on outside of God's word, which is honestly the key to making all of this possible, which we'll, we'll get to here in a little bit is mental resiliency. Now, if you don't know what mental resiliency is, resiliency is the ability to adapt to difficult situations. When stress, adversity, or trauma strikes, you still experience anger, you still experience grief and pain, but you are able to keep functioning, both physically and psychologically. Now, reflect back on the question I asked at the beginning of the show. What was your goal or your ambition from wherever point in time in your life? Now, let me recenter your thought. What was your goal When you got married or what is your goal in your dating or what is your goal in your kids or what is your goal that you have in pursuing your spouse? Is it being a good mother or father? What is it? Ask yourself that. Now, let me ask you this. Are you doing what you hope to be doing right now? Did you achieve the milestones you were hoping to achieve in these areas of your life? And for most of us, if we're being honest, the answer is no. Let's face it, we're stuck in a job somewhere where we're miserable, a job that doesn't challenge us, or we're dating someone we know we shouldn't, but we're settling for fear of, well, what if I don't find anyone else like this person? This is probably the best I can do. And we settle. We stop doing the things we love because life got in the way. And this is a plague that crushes marriages, relationships, careers, so many different things. And the biggest thing with all that to push through this is you have got to be disciplined. You've got to be committed, motivated, driven, ambitious, and resilient in all aspects of your life. Most of the time, you, you know, you hear that talk in entrepreneurship circles, right? You must relentlessly pursue after achieving these goals. The question is, what goals have you made in your life? Do you make goals for your marriage? Do you make goals for your kids? Oftentimes, people make goals only for themselves to serve themselves and never take their goals beyond their own selves and into their families, into their relationships, their job, their church, or any other sphere of influence. And they create and set goals for only themselves and not for them. So when you're thinking about it for husbands, like husbands, what are your goals, right? Like what is your goal that you would like to see with you and your spouse is, is the overall end goal. Like, Hey, I want to be married to the same woman until the day I die. Or, Hey, I want to be married to this woman and we do X, Y, and Z together. Or, Hey, I want to daily be able to read the Bible with my wife, pray with my wife, have spiritual conversations with my wife. What are those goals? You need to, you need to figure those out. Wives think about it too. What are your goals? How, what were your goals in looking for a husband what were your goals in uh pursuing your husband helping your husband training the kids leading the kids you know all of those different things what are those goals and now if you're single what are your goals and expectations in dating looking for a future spouse right like you need to write these things out and like play by them uh now granted you still need to let the spirit work but at the same time do not compromise do not think like this guy or this girl Is all that there is out there like there is you've heard the saying there's plenty of fish in the sea like there's legit a ton of people and what I can't stand more than anything is a bunch of young adults that I see in which you know they're solid man or woman but I see them compromising on the person that they are pursuing the individual is not meeting up to the expectations that I know that they have for them. Or the individual looks like they're good in these three of the four areas, but the fourth area was a high priority on their list looking for in a spouse, but they compromise on that. Now, here's the thing. You enter into a marriage in which, you know, like I'm not talking about the physical qualities. I'm talking about like the chemical makeup that makes the man or the wife who they truly are. Because when you're dating someone, like that's always like they put forth the best face, right? But when you get into marriage, that's when it gets hard. So physical attraction is not all that there is. There's a lot of other stuff that go into that that you need to understand. The family dynamic of what they grew up in. How do they want to raise the kids? What is their thought process on schooling? What is their thought process on when to have kids, right? So these are all things you've got to develop for yourself and you have to be disciplined in these aspects of your life in setting goals and different things. So think about it this way. Beginning in your Bible study is probably one of the first and best ways to get going on this begin in your Bible reading Begin in your Bible study and you get this right you prioritize this right everything else will begin to fall in line Now a question. I love asking people that I'm gonna ask you guys now is what motivates you, right? What makes you get out of bed now? I want to ask you another question when you went bed, when you went to bed the night before Did you feel like you accomplishing did you feel like you accomplished something? Did you go to bed tired because you milked every minute out of that day? When you wake up, do you know what your goals are for that day? The biggest problem that many people have in developing goals and disciplining themselves is that they have not prepared for that day. You wake up with no real agenda in mind. Uh, You only just make it to the end of the day so you can go home to do nothing. Think about what you do outside of work, all right? Most of the time, it is a mindless, useless, meaningless task that affects you and builds you up in no way. It does not better you, it does not help you, but it only entertains you. Men and women are entertaining themselves to death. And guys, life is short. We're not promised tomorrow, and yet we all act like we will live to be 100. But what are you doing now in developing your children and loving your spouse and being ready for your future spouse to be ready for your job? Men, are you leading your families by setting the example, or are you just talking about leading your families in your Facebook and Instagram posts? Here's the biggest thing that you need to understand if you're a parent, if you're a husband, wherever, leader, doesn't matter, people follow and replicate what is modeled to them. If you're modeling laziness to your coworkers, to your kids, what do you think they will replicate? If I, as a father, model laziness, what do you think my kids will do and what do you think they will grow up to be? You know, and it's a funny thing. I, I, I often hear this and I see this play out from all the time in different aspects is that whole saying of do what I say, not as I do. That's a common occurrence I see with many parents today. They get onto their kids for not doing something that the parent expects them to do, but when they themselves are also guilty of that same action, right? Kids don't bring your devices to the table, but the mom and dad bring their phones and they're texting and swiping Instagram while the family is trying to eat or wives. They're laying some expectation on their husband when they're failing to meet that same standard that they expect of their husband. And the thing is, is most husbands and wives are guilty of that. So we've got to check our expectations. We've got to limit our expectations, but we also have to come up with goals, communicate those goals and execute those goals. Now, undisciplined lives lead to undisciplined relationships, which leads to anxiety, depression and bouts of fear. When you wake up, you should have a list of items you wish to accomplish for that day. But before you wake up, the discipline starts well before that, before you start that day out. How many of us have made plans to wake up in the morning to hit the gym or do something else before work only to hit snooze, and then you snooze right past your alarm. You snooze continuing on that window that you have before you have to get to work, so you missed your quiet time, you missed whatever time that you wanted to because you decided to sleep. The night you set that alarm, you need to make that mental commitment that you will honor what you set forth that night prior. So when you wake up and that alarm goes off and everything inside you is screaming just five more minutes, you have to fight that inner person through it. you got to push through it and force yourself to get up. Trust me, I know what it's like to have that inner voice telling you and convincing you to stay in bed, to not do it, to not go there, to not take that job, to not take that decision. However, let me tell you this, the more you give into that inner voice, the less likely you will ever fight back and push yourself through instances like this. Because the more that you conquer that inner voice and you push through it, despite what your mind is telling you, you know that you will begin to submit your body to your will. Now, a verse that I love for this, and this is in the spiritual aspect, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26-27. He says this, "'Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, "'I box in such a way as not beating the air, "'but I discipline my body and make it my slave, "'so that after I have preached to others, "'I myself will not be disqualified.'" So what Paul is saying here is that he is keeping his body in check with how he is behaving towards outsiders, how he is living his life for Christ, And the way in which he's doing this is he is setting goals. He is setting a development for what he is doing. For instance, when he says I box in such a way as not beating the air, the way in which he is using this metaphor is that he's just not randomly doing stuff. He's intentional behind every single thing that he does. And what we have to understand is that when we can deny what that inner voice tells us, that inner voice may saying, Hey, just one more dessert. Hey, just five more minutes. The same way that inner voice tempts us in our sin, hey, it doesn't matter, you can go and do that, or hey, it doesn't matter, you can go and look at that, or whatever else it is. The more you cave into that voice, the harder it is for you to get and have victory over this. But the more you discipline yourself, you will hold your body into submission. So when you wake up, you're not gonna hit that snooze button, you're gonna hit the ground running, looking to accomplish that day. Now, in order to stay organized in the morning, because I don't know about you guys, but in the morning, dude, I drag. I drag to stay organized and disciplined. A great way to stay organized and disciplined is have everything laid out and ready to go the night before. Right, so what I like to do is my coffee's prepped, I've got my clothes laid out, shoes are ready to go, I got my bags packed that I'm taking with me, my lunch, whatever it is. That way when I wake up, I'm not having to waste all this other time trying to get all this stuff together because I took that extra effort the night before to get all that stuff prepped. And this is just a start in staying disciplined, motivated and resilient. Now, let's just say you're doing that, but life as always is going to throw you a curveball. Let's just say you get fired from your job or your boyfriend or your girlfriend breaks up with you. What do you do? Do you circle the drain and begin questioning God? Like, why would this happen? You know, why? Everything was perfect. First off, let me encourage you, if you're single and you've gone through a breakup or you're looking at going through a breakup or you just got fired, is that if everything was perfect, which is what we like to tell ourselves, then this probably wouldn't have happened in the first place. And so what I'm also wanting to encourage you guys with is that God is sovereign and providential over everything in every aspect in your life. What we have to do is trust him. But then what we also have to do is we have to control our emotions and set our expectations. Now the interesting thing about emotions is that most people, about 95% of people believe that they are emotionally self-aware. But in reality, only about 10 to 15% of people actually are emotionally aware. Forbes uh, magazine states that only 36 of 36 percent of people really know how they feel at any given time. The remaining 64 percent do not. So think about this 36 percent of people are emotionally intelligent to knowing what they're feeling and why they are feeling that way. Let me ask you this. Had there ever been a time where you feel sad and you cannot pinpoint why you feel sad? That's an issue and that's something you've got to fix because that sadness will begin to affect you in your marriage, in your life, in your kids, in your job because you're a dark rain cloud and you can't figure out why you're sad. Like this is going to affect you in so many ways. And most people sadly do not control their emotions. Their emotions are not being controlled because they are not a disciplined individual. They allow their emotions to control them. When you're led by your emotions, you are dancing on a razor's edge and you will make rash, impulsive decisions Typically when that happens, it's that if it feels good, then it must be good. Mentality kicks in now, emotionally driven people who cannot control their feelings will begin to project negatively on others and will isolate the individual. When you begin to project your feelings, it begins to have a negative effect. You feel isolated. You feel like you're alone. No one, everyone's against you. The world's against me, people you. People who are doing that, people who do that, make life harder than it needs to be because they think that everyone is out to get them. This is what is known as dichotomous thinking, assuming there's always an us versus them scenario. Here's the thing guys, life can be and is hard. It will throw you curveballs, but you must be willing and able to flex and pivot when it comes. Don't assume life is going to always go easy for you. It isn't because we all know that things change, stuff happens. When we expect that stuff is going to happen in the negative, uh, when it comes our way, it's not gonna take us by surprise, but so many of us believe that no, 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 no. Life is supposed to be good. Life is supposed to be easy. The thing is that you need to remember is that the only easy day was yesterday because that day has already came and went and you accomplished it. So what you need to understand is do not, do not let your emotions dictate reality. Oftentimes we perceive something and assume the worst, then in retrospect, we see that we totally overreacted. Emotional decision-making leads to regret later in life. Take the time, think through the decision, pray through it, seek godly counsel, and then make a sound, rational decision. Don't second-guess it. Own the decision. Whether it was the right one or the wrong one, you will learn from that mistake. When those bad things happen, make a decision, adjust. You will learn more from your failures than from your successes. In our failures, we learn integral tools that we reflect on later in life. Our failures imprint on us in stronger, more memorable ways We learn from these and apply these lessons learned on what not to do next time. However, the biggest item for understanding is to not worry and consistently worry about our failures. Do not revisit them. Do not let them hang over your head and do not assume that you are forever a failure. Make note and take every precaution so you don't make that same mistake again. You know, I remember as a kid and this, you may laugh at me, I would ride my bike sometimes and my shoestrings would be be untied. Well, I don't know if you've ever done that, but when you ride your bike and your shoestrings are untied, it can get wrapped around the pedal. And as it gets wrapped around the pedal, there will be a point in time in which your foot can't move anymore. And you end up falling off your bike, like with your foot still attached to it. Dude, that happened to me like two, three times till my dumb head finally realized, ah, I probably need to make sure my shoes are tied when I ride a bike. But guess what? That lesson I learned when I was like 10, I promise you now, I always double check my shoes anytime I ride a bike. I know that's silly, but that's just a reason of how you learn from your failures. Now, the big thing is too, guys, is you need to not worry about tomorrow, the next day or the next year, because worry is typically coming from and associated with failure, which comes from comparison, which comes from a form of perfectionism, which comes from overall not making goals and knowing what you're doing in your life. And I see too many people worried and dealing and concerned with so many different things. But what we have to understand is what Matthew six thirty three through 34 talks about, as this should encourage us, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you so Do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We must live our lives in continual dependence on God to give us this daily bread. Guys, we must be good stewards of this with what he has given to us. We must rely on him. Seek after holiness and trust in God, a great way to combat worry, perfectionism, fear, isolation is by developing a plan, staying disciplined and come up with things that challenge you both mentally, physically, and spiritually. So again, the question I posed earlier, what motivates you? Why do you get out of bed? What was a passion you once had or something you used to love doing? My question is, is why aren't you doing it anymore? Or why are you doing it less frequently? Now guys, we make excuses for almost everything. But there was a point in time in which you were able to do the activity, the hobby, or the passion. What happened into why you're not doing it anymore? Now, oftentimes we perceive that time is a big limiting factor. And for some of us it is. But what I would suggest is do an audit of your time and you'll see exactly how much of your time you are truly wasting on a day-to-day basis. Other times it's that we're not passionate about it anymore. Okay, then what else is there that does get your juices flowing? Because guys, binge watching Netflix or sports and doing Final Fantasy football is not what I'm talking about here. For men, you need to get out there and find something physical to do. Go outside, pick up a hobby that utilizes your mind, body, and not some meaningless activity, but do something that takes time and energy and commitment. Whatever that hobby or skill is, if you have kids, start to teach and to train them in that skill. If you don't have kids now, and Lord willing, you will, make the promise or the goal to yourself that you will want to see your kids sharing this also. We often model to our kids, sadly, laziness, drama, gossip, fighting, judgment, backbiting, and poor habits. And if you're honest with yourself, we all probably model to our kids more bad habits than good. But what we need to do is show our kids what it is like to fail at something and not just fail or get in trouble or whatever else and then never bounce back. I think the greatest thing is, as we have learned from our failures, it's good for our kids to see what it is and how it is that you fail at something what it is like to have an off day at the sport you're passionate about. For instance, there's multiple things that I enjoy doing, and I try and incorporate these in my kids' lives as much as possible. You know, one, for instance, is guns. I love shooting, training, and hunting. Well, when my kids were very little, they couldn't stay quiet long enough to go hunting with me. So when it wasn't hunting season, what I did was I took them outside and I just enjoyed being outside is I took them out and instead of shooting guns, I showed them how to track. And we would go out into the woods. And as we were out in the woods, we were looking for uh, deer prints and everything else. I was showing them what, you know, Indicators of a rubbing would be and everything else and they had such a blast Um, And then I said, okay now let's try to be quiet And I just started incorporating and developing skills so that I may not be able to take them hunting at that age But I'm prepping them for when they're older I've already sown the seeds of expectation so that they can enjoy this and they're learning discipline They're learning how to follow instructions and everything else and you can start this at a young age now the other passion I have is surfing Uh, Now, as soon as I could, as early as I could, I try to introduce all my kids to the sport. Now, each one of them had varying degrees of excitement uh, or even desire attention. And so what I'm saying with this is as I was introducing my kids to the sport, I was sensitive to their desire to continue in with this. And I did not force them to maintain this. Like, have your kids try whatever the thing is. And if they don't get excited for it, Hey, keep that door open so that they can do it whenever they want to later on. That way you're not forcing or pressuring them because when you force or pressure your kids to do something that's not like mandatory, uh, you've got to pick and choose your battles guys. Let me give you an example. I love jujitsu and I've been training jujitsu for a long time. Well, several years ago, about seven years ago, uh, I tried to introduce my son, uh, into jujitsu. So he was about five years old or so like that. Um, just some real, real basic stuff. Like, it was fun. It was exciting. After like a week, I decided to buy him his own little gi. Uh, well, after about a week and a half, uh, he lost interest, and we hung up his gi in his closet. Well, I never just discounted that completely. I kept revisiting it with him to see, hey, would you be interested? Would you be interested? And never really showed much interest. I took him to uh, one of the local schools for a kid's class I was helping out at. And they, my, my son and my middle daughter were not happy with it. Well, nearly seven years later, right, so actually earlier this year, uh, my son and middle daughter are now fully invested and interested in this, and what's cool is that I did not burn them out with this concept. They came to me saying that they wanted to learn, and because I kept that door open and I didn't force them way back then, which they would have become jaded and probably not ever wanted to do it, now they're they're in it three times a week. So it's super cool when you introduce your kids to something, I want to encourage you uh, to share that sport that love but if you're not having that sport you're not doing something outside uh, or you know maybe for for you women it's not something outside but what skill do you have do you know how to paint do you know how to photography you know do you work out like what is it that you can start to introduce your kids to and start showing them your passions and hobbies because they're going to develop some kind of a passion some kind of a pattern of some something in their life the question is is Do you want them to model it after you or do you want them to model it after some YouTube guy or girl or whoever? So my question is, ladies and gentlemen, my challenge for you fathers and mothers is what is a skill or a passion you have that you should be training your children in? For those single people, what is a skill or passion you have right now that you may not have children yet, but make that promise with yourself that when you do, you will want to train them up in this. The next question I wanna ask you is what information do you have that you need to be pouring into your kids? Because, guys, life and the life that we have is a gift. Life is short. We're not promised tomorrow. We don't know the day or the hour in which God can call us home. But what we do need to be doing is being found faithful. Being found faithful with what God has given to us, stewarding well with what God has given to us, and being wise and smart about how we go about doing this. Um, The biggest thing, guys, that I'm I'm hoping you've walked away with in this, this podcast is that is, is challenging you and motivating you to set your expectations, to check what you're doing, how you're comparing yourself with other people and just build a good filter and discernment for what you are consuming in this life. Uh, I know this is a bit different of a podcast. I've got some actual good podcasts as well with some guests coming up in the future. Um, but again, like I said, I hope this encourages you. Um, but otherwise thank you guys for joining me. And catch you guys next time.